0: line is a production of the cycling independent with support from our generous subscribers and from Shimano, North America. From the Cycling Independent, this is the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, how's how's winter there, my bro? Um, well I mean, I know it's not officially, but come on. Uh well, it's
1: the winter solstice. Uh when, tomorrow? Yeah. The next day? Yeah. Um it's a it's it is Persistently unpredictable. (laughs) Um, that we had a lot of snow up in the north and rain down in the south, which is actually a pretty good scenario for me because it means I could theoretically ski, but I could still ride here. Um, then we got like two inches of wind driven rain the other day, which wrecked all the ski areas and also made the trails sodden and wet and now it's bet we're back in hard freeze so you know it's like uh this is how new england is right uh uh disappointing (laughs) you know
0: Uh, on top of unpredictable
1: yeah i mean um new englanders are like high on crack the first day of spring uh, because they're just so not used to the weather being good, and it's the same mm-hmm. way. Uh, if like a big snowstorm comes and makes skiing good, like all of those people show up there because they're like, Oh my gosh, it's a blessed moment of good in our weather. Um, because this, you know, the normal situation, but that's okay,
0: yeah. You know, there are an awful lot of places that will uh make that joke, you know, about. How, if you don't like the weather, it'll change in five minutes. Mm. Um, I have not been any place in my life where that is more true than New England,
1: yeah. And <clears throat> in the last 10 years, I mean, I think we've all noticed changes in weather patterns. Oh, sure. Um, but our, our situation is even less predictable than it was 10 years ago our winters don't look the same our summers are odd ah you yeah. know yeah yeah uh-huh i get it
0: i and, get it and, and and yet we persist well i mean the alternatives don't look good uh <laughs> we were just joking about that uh, onion headline world death rate yes. remains at
1: World world death rate holding steady at one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: yeah, yep. True, true thing. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh huh. Well, let's see. Uh, it's nearly Christmas, so uh, you know, as as uh, one friend to another, Merry Christmas, buddy. Oh
1: yeah, merry merry whatever. Yes, merry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. happy solstice um happy hanukkah to all those who celebrate Mm -hmm. uh anyone who's got a thing happy that
0: yeah yeah uh and of course to all of our readers yes uh listeners both of those uh yes yes whatever it is you celebrate um hey uh have a good one and uh Thanks for listening. Maybe this is something we were supposed to do at the end, but I've I've jumped the gun. Why don't we jump, if we're going to jump into anything, how about your pull?
1: <laughs> I like it. All right. So last week we ran an interview I did with Julian Wall from CycleFit. Uh, Jules does the fits for EF EasyPost Pro Team. Uh, He has worked with an array of other pro cyclists over his 20-plus years as an elite bike fitter. If you missed that interview, check it out. He is an interesting guy.
0: (laughs) That Uh, puts it mildly. Yes. Yeah. He's
1: he's also pretty discreet and economical with his words. (laughs) So what was more interesting than our interview—this is typical—was the conversation we had after as Mm. we— talked about which pros were good bike riders and which were just VO2 max anomalies, Uh his words. Uh, That's when he told me about a pro rider that is new to the Peloton this year who was recruited directly from Zwift. Yeah, Yeah, okay, sure. Just let that trickle through your brain pan for a minute. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, this guy can put out massive power, uh, but he's been pedaling indoors, and frankly, he doesn't know how to ride a bike very well. So he's good on the straights, uh, and he can blow a peloton apart, uh, which apparently we have seen him do uh, in races, but he can't descend to save his life. So that's when we got, he and I, Jules and I, got into further discussion about what bike riding outdoors even is Mm -hmm. um and and what i said to him and he 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 nodded his head sagely back at me was that there are two core abilities when we employ when we ride a bike one is cardiovascular how hard can we pedal how long can we keep it up for this is a function of turning oxygen into glycogen the more you ride the fitter you get and then the other ability is proprioceptive. It's bike handling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the bicycle as a machine allows you to dance with gravity. And great riders typically have developed both of these abilities. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those riders.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> for, for some years, I was primarily a roadie. Um, and this is like... I don't know, 98 to 2004, I don't know. It's somewhere in there. I was primarily a roadie and I was piling up miles on a road bike uh, alone and with friends. I had some bike handling skills from growing up as a BMX kid and from riding mountain bikes a little bit, but during those years I was mostly exploring the cardiovascular side of bike riding. And there's a whole ethos to that where you're always pushing your limits and the hard work is very hard and it's not a bad thing to do. But ultimately, I realized that I wasn't talented in that way. There were some pretty strict limits to what I was going to achieve and frankly, to what I wanted to achieve. Uh, And so I wasn't a roadie for that long. (laughs) Okay. Um. Trail riding on whatever bike made sense at the time became a lot more compelling to me. And now my main focus is on riding technical single track. My ideal terrain is um, undulating and punctuated by difficult to navigate obstacles, which is convenient because where I live, that's what we have. (laughs) Um, You know, I love to stop and session an obstacle that I fail on the first time through. This is the sort of stuff that lights me up, and the thing is, even here in my 50s, I find that I can make real progress on this side of the game still, in a way that I'm not going to be expanding my limits on the cardiovascular front anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I try to be fit, obviously. Uh, I'm not neglecting the pedaling side of bike riding, but I'm not focused at all on speed or mileage the way I once was. Right now, I'm just all about that dance with gravity and trying to find the limits of my bike handling skills in the context of my regular riding, which is, you know, here around Boston or in New England, I'll say largely. You are or were more, I will say, more cardiovascularly talented than myself, uh, I could guess that the balance of your focus has been different than mine over the years. And I'm I'm sure you're as good a bike handler as I am, too. Do you think this basic breakdown of bike riding is accurate, though? Or is it nonsensical to separate these two aspects?
0: No, it's not the least bit nonsensical. Uh, it, I mean, for the simple reason that, um, well, it's true. <laughs> you know yeah. reality tends to assert itself whether you want it to or not also you know it's worth it's worth mentioning here that um richard brine the former uh, ceo of speedplay pedals um richard um it, in the course of sponsoring team csc back in the early aughts um he He was once watching, I want to say it was the tour, but maybe it was the Giro. I don't recall what, Um, but he was watching TV and watching one of the big races. And there's CSC, the team that he sponsors. And he's watching David Zabriskie, who was one of the finest time trialists the U.S. ever produced, doped or otherwise. And he's looking at Zabriskie in a corner and he realizes, oh, my gosh, David Flippin Zabriskie doesn't know how to descend. He doesn't know how to corner. Um, And so he spoke with Bjarne because, you know, he's got him on speed dial or whatever. Bjarne Reese, team director, team owner and director. Right. Um, And he said, you know, I think we we ought to sit down with your entire team and talk about skills. Well, he proceeded to train the CSC team for years. I, you know, it might've been, you know, the entire, nearly the entire time he sponsored them. So close to 10 years. He, every year at their training camp, he would, he would take riders. I mean, initially there was like a big class, but later on he would take riders one-on-one and he would take them out and he would show them what they needed to understand that they previously hadn't understood about how to corner and descend. Um, And Richard can lay some claim to expertise in this area because he used to teach skills clinics way back when. And um, near the end of Speedplay's run with CSC, I actually drove down to San Diego once, and he was putting on his little patented class for a half dozen people, and I went and joined it. And... uh, the guy has an incredible ability to teach these skills. And, yeah, it's an entirely different thing than being able to go hard. Um, and, you know, I was, I was pleased to note that, well, one, I had chased down Richard Bryan on a descent once. And I, when I did that, I didn't realize that it was quite the achievement that it proved to be later on. Because uh, he looked over his shoulder and was amazed that I had shown up. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes there's uh, you know being good at one thing is only being good at one thing uh the the skills necessary to handle a bike that's a whole world and for me one of the big things that i've always loved about cycling is as you and i have noted you know this is not one hobby it's four or five or six of them
1: sure sure
0: uh, and so I've always loved how there's that opportunity to completely bury myself in an effort and make the world entirely present tense. Um, and I can also do that, you know, in the course of handling a bike. Um, so there are multiple ways for me to reach flow, but also it engages me in Multiple different ways, and as somebody with ADD or ADHD, however you want to call it, uh, apparently I need that um, I need that interest level renewed on a somewhat forever basis.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that is certainly the case with me, and I think I think the like just going hard thing actually doesn't work very well for my ADD because I sit in it in the pain, and I'm. I desperately want to be distracted. I desperately want to be doing something else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were times, um, there were times that worked and then there were times that, um, didn't work that way later on in my racing career, uh, such as it was flat time trials really became a struggle for me. Um, Because I just, I couldn't maintain the focus to suffer like that on the flats. You send me up a hill, I could suffer for two hours. I don't know what that was. I never figured it out. And I realized uh, somewhere along the lines, as I was trying to figure it out, that I really didn't care enough to figure it out. It just wasn't that important. Um, Going hard was interesting on a hill. And going hard was interesting... Anytime there was somebody on my wheel or somebody I could, uh, remove from my wheel. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just going hard for miles and miles on the flat was something that I, I don't know, didn't work. Yeah.
1: I think that's right. I think, I think the fitter I am, the more interested I can be with the pointy end of cardiovascular, you know, because it's interesting Mm -hmm, to sort of test yourself. Yes. But I have to kind of be there, whereas bike ha- bike handling is in- interesting to me every time I throw a leg over.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are, uh, uh, there are, um, what to call it? Neither one of these things is the same every time you walk out the door. You know, maybe you're not right. recovered well enough. Uh or maybe you didn't sleep well enough and your balance is a little off. You know, there are all these things that make each time you step out the door a little bit different. Um, And, you know, for those of us who need our interest renewed, that certainly helps because it's kind of like a box of chocolates. Uh, Yeah. You really don't know what's going to happen. That, I think, that lack of, continuity, consistency is a real frustration for some people. And certainly I've been on the suffering end of that, but it also leaves room for an awful lot of hope, you know, that you may walk out the door and just go have a stellar experience when all you needed was pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, You know, I'm, I'm with you about the, how interesting it is to work on skills. Um, you know, I, it's, yeah, certainly I want to get better at it. I'm not going to charge that my, uh, single track abilities are, are in any way greater than yours. We really have no basis on which to judge that. Um, uh, but it's like you, I have found this to be um, a fresh way to feed my cycling Jones um, that wasn't uh, wasn't calling to me 15 years ago.
1: I think, yeah, I think for me, it's always called to me. It's always been interesting to me I, <clears throat> in the early um, or the late 90s, early aughts, even as I was riding a road bike as hard as I could. I was also buying um, Martin Ashton and Hans Ray VHS tapes
0: <laughs>
1: giving, you know, trials riding, uh, you know, th- that's when trials riding was starting to mash into mountain biking mm-hmm. um, instead of being separate things. And I was super into that. Um, so I think this is, I think what's happened over the last couple years is that I've realized how much I love that Mm -hmm. and where I used to spend much more time, even on a gravel bike, you know, going hard with my friends, it, you know, um, where going hard was the fun part we were doing. Yep. Now I'm, I, I'm not really that interested. I mean, it's fine. I'll do it, but it's not the focus of what I do. Now the focus of what I do is is technical single track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah. and I find that I'm not body limited with it yet uh, the way I am, sort of heart and lung limited by my age.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for the gains that can be made in skills uh, as we age. Um, even as various, uh, physical factors fall off, um, we still have an awful lot that we can do, uh, you know, as we're losing strength, as we're losing aerobic, uh, ability, uh, as mm-hmm. our reaction time goes down, um, some of those things don't fall off at the same rate. Well,
1: what I think is particularly interesting is that <clears throat> as I've slowed down, Actually, my bike handling has gotten better because I can perform the same moves at slower speeds. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and this is, you know, part of this I discovered by riding with beginners who can't ride very fast, which then caused me to think about obstacles in a different way because I'm not using as much momentum. Yeah. To ride them. And that is super
0: interesting. I
1: mean, <laughs> bikes are great. Don't you agree?
0: <laughs> I I'm I'm kind of all in on the bike prospect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: Um you know, and the funny thing is uh you know, having noted that like 15 years ago mountain biking was not calling to me when I first became a rider uh and in that regard I'm talking about like bought my first bike shop quality road bike in the mm-hmm. 1980s. Um the the urges within me would have fallen very much in the gravel camp had that existed back then. Mm -hmm. I was, I had a specialized touring bike with 35 millimeter tires. Later I swapped it out to 32s and I was taking that bike anywhere I pleased. Um, If, if it looked interesting, I went and explored it (laughs) on my drop bar road bike. Um, Mm -hmm. But it, you know, like I said, big tires. (laughs) Um, I bought my first mountain bike, I don't know, 18 months after that. Um, Mm -hmm. two years after that, it wasn't long before I bought my first mountain bike and, you know, I, yeah. So I was, if you could ride a bike on it, I wanted to have the bike that would allow me to ride on it. I wanted to go everywhere and explore all the things. Um, and it wasn't until I got a job with, uh, an all road bike magazine uh, that things really changed for me. And the, the fact was that after Bicycle Guide folded, everybody thought that I was just a roadie. They didn't realize that I'd been riding mountain bikes prior to that gig um, because all my publication credits back then were really pretty tiny. Um, mm. Dirt Rag wasn't that well known. And uh, there was Norba News, uh, mm-hmm. which I wrote for on occasion. Yeah. Funny stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, what do you say we take a break and come back in a minute? Let's do it. All righty. The Pace Line is brought to you in part by Shimano North America and their new 105 12-speed mechanical group set. Over the last few seasons, the refined ergonomics and technology of their Dura-Ace and Ultegra groups have arrived at the affordable 105 level. 12-speeds smooth out Shimano's already category-leading shifting technology, and the new 105 is reliable, simple to use, and easy to maintain. Available with either an 1134T or 1136T cassette paired with a 5034T or 5236T cassette chainring setup, riders can climb more comfortably with an efficient cadence and still have big enough gears to prevent spinning out mid-descent or when sprinting on the flats.
1: Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Uh, I think you have the flip side of our coin today, maybe.
0: Yeah, I'm supposed to talk about cardiovascular fitness, uh, this the other side of this particular cycling coin. and. Honestly, it feels like if we were going to talk about oxygen burning beasts, we should call Celine. I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, she won an iron man, not to mention mention a bunch of iron crosses, something that I actually suspect no one else on this planet has done. Um, maybe there's another iron something cycling event she can go in. Uh, collect the whole set, (laughs) Uh, but I'm in the hot seat. Okay, so here we go. The first thing I'm going to say is that while I had some talent, I wasn't gifted with lots of talent. I think that's an important thing to establish. The true cardiovascular freaks show their talent even before they are all that trained. They are the riders who can hang with anything straight off the couch. Um, And that phrase straight off the couch is one that... I. It has sounded like it was in Turkish to me. I don't even know what that means, but I hear people say it and I see it happen. It's like, well, that's that's when you are born with a third lung. Um, You know, it's a one in 10,000 person. Uh, And here's an example of what it looks like. So there was an American pro back in the 80s and 90s named Andy Bishop In one of his very first races, this was in Arizona, an uphill time trial, he started near the back of the field with the Cat 4s, because he was new. Um, The Cat 1s started first, then the 2s, and so on. He rode out of the 4s, through all of the 3s, and finished somewhere near the top 1s and 2s. He recorded the fastest time that day by a rather stunning margin, if memory serves. The officials faced with the prospect that some Cat 4 had just won this whole thing, decided that, well, he must have cheated, even though all of the evidence they had said he didn't. Uh, They had no objective proof, just the circumstance of like, well, he was faster than everybody else here. He must be cheating. Uh, So not only did he not win, he was DQ'd. Um, mm. Bishop got the last laugh when his picture showed up in Villeneuve less than a year later, wearing the Jersey of the top Dutch pro team PDM, mm. uh, neat trick. Yeah. So he was one of those talents and me, I was not like that. I'm still not like that. I had to work. I spent years putting in seasons of between 8,000 and 12,000 miles there was one year where I was, shall we say, rather lightly employed, uh, <laughs> less employed than I wanted to be. Um, and I put in close to 15,000 miles that year.
1: Uh, sounds sounds like a perfect situation, but go on.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, to put this in perspective, I was trying to earn my Category 2 upgrade. I wanted to see if I could be good enough to be in the same race as the pros. Um, I wanted to do those pro one, two races and then see like, you know, back then the postal service riders, I wanted to see them right away from me. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be competitive against them, but I figured it, you know, for me, it was always good enough to be there when the real beasts unleashed, when mm. somebody attacks and then leaves the breakaway being able to say, yeah, I, I I saw the move. I knew he was doing it and I was unable to respond. That was actually kind of, that alone was pretty satisfying for me. Yep. <laughs> what people don't understand about cycling is time in the saddle. Just time in the saddle pedaling, not suffering, just with your heart rate elevated. That will do wonders for fitness. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that I did thousands and thousands of miles with in the late 90s. Mike Horoff, dynamite individual. Mike and I would often do our Tuesday-Thursday group ride, known as the pier ride. And then when we got back to the Manhattan Beach Pier, one of us would ride up to the other if we weren't already next to each other in the pace line and ask, secret miles? More often than not, we'd nod and then turn around and head north on the bike path, and we would get an extra hour of riding in. Do that two days a week, and at the end of the month, that's an extra eight hours of training. That adds up over the course of a season. I'd do all sorts of things to squeeze in extra miles just for the value of that aerobic training. A few weeks each year, I'd train seven days in a row, making sure I kept my heart rate down and sometimes squeezing in a second ride in the evening after work. You want to be a monster? Do a training ride in the morning, ride into work, work, ride home. Do that regularly, and people will not be able to sit on your wheel. Mm -hmm. Here's my single biggest takeaway from that time. In general, people have no idea how broad a spectrum of fitness is possible for human beings. Uh, And this has really been driven home as I've experienced the loss in fitness uh, as I've (laughs) aged and also cut back my miles. Um, I'm sort of staggered by how much less fit I am than what I was. That's a somewhat separate story. But we see, you know, to put this in one perspective, we see but a tiny band of all the radiation the universe produces. We call that visible light. You know, if we're naked, we need to be kept within a roughly 40 degree temperature range. Given the range of temperatures in the universe from absolute zero to tens of thousands of degrees. Again, we exist in a very just stupidly narrow band of existence. But the difference between the folks on shows like The Biggest Loser and the guy who finishes in last place at the Tour de France is vast, orders of magnitude. Looking back at my training diaries some years back, I calculated the difference between being competitive as a cat four and being competitive as a cat three by this. I mean, strong enough to get to the front and make people suffer at the end of the race when it counts. Well, the difference was about three hours per week of training from 15 hours on average to 18 hours on average. Um, But that's also, if you were, pretty disciplined in your training and uh, confession alert. If you weren't all that disciplined, then add three more hours per week, uh, which Mm -hmm. was my case in my racing. I came to a host of conclusions about fitness. One of them I drew is that aerobic fitness doesn't chart as a linear function. I think it exists on an exponential curve. The difference between the average cyclist, uh, and the rider who's lining up and finishing races in the pack is an order of magnitude. It's another mm. order of magnitude to winning Cat 4 races. From there, it's another order of magnitude to being competitive in the threes. Not, not even winning. Another order to winning the threes convincingly. Another order to finishing a Pro 1-2 race with the field. Yet another order of magnitude to win as a two another for winning against pros another to, to be strong enough to win a smaller pro race another to winning a classic or a grand tour stage and there's an order of magnitude difference between the riders in the top 5 of the tour and the guys who sit from 10th to 20th sure um but you know at that point i don't think there's a huge number and uh, a huge difference in the number of hours they're training some of that's just physical gifts, but you know, there are some other less pleasant factors we could throw into sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, yes, uh, I I rode once with Henny
1: Kuyper, <clears> he <throat> right. was world champion once and uh, won paris Roubaix and finished second in two. Like, he was he's a probably a top 10 cyclist easily.
0: Yeah, he was one of the great one-day riders.
1: Yeah, and he is, I don't know, five, maybe 15 years older than I am, uh, but we went out, his son lives here, long story, but we went out for a ride, and we were chit-chatting with him, and, and he was very um, gracious about talking about his career, and he said, basically, and this is a guy who raced Mercs, who raced, you know, um, Zeta Milk who raced against all of these big names. And he said, you know, what made me successful was that I, I could, I had one more attack. Mm -hmm. I had, I could go one more time than everyone
0: else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a real thing. I think that speaks more to physical gift, uh, 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 genetic gift than training. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Like riding with him, he looked like a different species
1: of human. As I said, I think I think when I rode with him, he was 63. He's I don't know, that must have been more 10 or more years ago, but he was 63 then and had a barrel chest and he had these quads that I just like I just looked at him. I was like, that's not a human like I'm a human. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a different human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the special edition Yeah. Yes. Um, You know, something we often hear racers say is that, you know, the guy who won or the guy who managed to get into the break from which the winner came, you know, had an extra gear. Right. That, you know, that, that phrase, and it's a real thing, you know, the, you're going as hard as you can go in this one gear and somebody else shifts one cog and then just rides away from you. Thank you for playing. Uh, (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'll say that at my fittest, at my fittest, I was sometimes shocked by what I could do. Um, but there's a great quote from Greg Lamone, which is, uh, aside from absolutely true kind of proof of that, it never hurts any less. He said, you know, you just go faster. Um, I will say the pain becomes more tolerable, Mm -hmm. um, I can't explain that. I remember, you know, back when we were still allowed to idolize Lance Armstrong, he once said, it's a sweet pain when you're fit. Um, Lance had the ability to say some very true things about cycling. And that was one of them. When you're really, really fit, that suffering is sort of delicious. Um, Well, it, it produces results, <laughs> well, you there, know, there's that. Yeah. And, it, and I don't just mean
1: winning races, but it, it, it produces a satisfaction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas when you're not fit and you're in that pain, you're like, I don't even know what I'm achieving out here.
0: <laughs> uh, the, you know, except for like, you know, some broken bones and things like that. The worst pain I have ever suffered, um, were those, those moments came in cat three races, Um, I pushed myself to my absolute limit in terms of what I could accomplish aerobically. Mm -hmm. Um, I can remember feeling like I was, you know, and technically this is not a great way to do it, but I can recall being, uh, physically tense throughout my body in that effort to just gut out an extra watt or two. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think back on what some of those efforts were and the desperation that I felt in trying to stay on somebody's wheel. Um, I, I don't miss that. (laughs) I don't, I don't miss that level of suffering. I like going hard. I like making myself suffer still not all the time, but there are days where it's, it's a good time, but that level, uh, no, don't miss it. Um, So here's my bottom line. You know, no matter what someone thinks their overall talent level is, I can promise you that you are wrong about just how fit you can become through training, but there are no shortcuts. It's butt in saddle. There's no substitute for time, but the thing is to be fit you don't really have to go out and suffer a lot. Just doing the miles will do wonders. Yeah. I, I think that's one mistake we miss. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for doing, you know, uh, hit training and being very targeted and disciplined. It, you know, it cuts down on the number of hours each week you have to spend doing that thing. Mm. But the, the adaptation in your mitochondria that comes with just doing a uh, a huge volume of miles there's nothing like it yeah. um and uh yeah I miss, I I miss that I miss that <laughs> yeah so um you know if uh, if you become lightly employed I would encourage you you know try doing some 15 hour weeks and see what happens
1: yeah, that'd cut into my coffee drinking and my casual opinion slinging.
0: <laughs> uh, I, you know, I I don't want to see fewer of your opinions, but uh, no, I can I, I, would I think, think you could you, drink the coffee on the
1: bike. No. <laughs> I could do fifteen hours. I think I could do fifteen hours pretty happily.
0: I I don't know that I want to have that many hours on the bike anymore. Um, it's, I mean, that's a part-time job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um,
1: all right. But when I'm independently wealthy, I'll cut to that. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's go on to paceline picks. All right. So this week I'm picking a riser bar for your mountain bike. Okay. The specific one I ride on my Ibis Ripley is the Deity Black Label 25mm riser bar, but this isn't really about a specific bar. This is about leverage. Um, mm-hmm. Most mountain bikes come stock with a flat bar, and that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's good to understand how the bike handles, and more importantly, how you can handle it with a flat bar. But if you're finding the bike isn't as nimble as you'd hoped or you just want a little extra leverage for popping over obstacles or initiating your jumps or even just for making wheelies easier, then I'd ri- recommend a riser bar. 25 millimeters is a good place to start, but 35 is nice, too. Um, mm-hmm. When I got the Deity Bar originally, I was going to review it, but I don't, <clears throat> I don't think there's a ton of secret sauce in, in mountain bike handlebars. Mm-hmm. There's sort of the minutiae of rise and sweep, but that's all kind of potato, potato. Um, you know, it's like different strokes for different folks. I wouldn't say like, oh, get this because it's got a six degree back sweep, <laughs> you know.
0: Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I long struggled with those sorts of reviews.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you find the one that feels good to you. Um, but I think this is also like a really cheap... A lot of these bars are less than a hundred bucks, as they should be, since they're just bent aluminum. <laughs> um, uh, it's a really cheap way to change the dynamic of mountain bike handling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, mountain bike handlebars aren't so dissimilar from brand to brand, a few ounces here and a few there of weight. Um, obviously, if weight is important to you, there are carbon versions, but really. What I'm recommending here today is just trying a riser bar and seeing if it doesn't improve your bike handling skills immediately.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Um, the, The only reason I advocate going to carbon bars is that usually they are noticeably stiffer than the aluminum ones. I mean, there are some really, really stout aluminum ones that you don't feel any flex to, but I don't like feeling flex in a mountain bike bar.
1: I don't. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big dude. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that's, I just don't perceive that or I'm not torquing bars that hard. Um, yeah, I I have an aluminum one. I have a carbon one because bike industry and having things. Uh, but I think for people who are Mm -hmm. trying to understand what their bike will do, uh, mm-hmm. Just, just get yourself a cheap and cheerful aluminum riser, and 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 if you then determine that you know just what you want from that bar, okay, upgrade to the carbon bar. But mm-hmm. there's there's a lot about a mountain bike that you can upgrade to change the character of the bike um, that you yeah. wouldn't that you wouldn't necessarily get on a r- road or gravel bike.
0: I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, there's a need to be able to get your front wheel up off the ground that you don't have with a road bike. Mm. Um, and because of the, you know, the torso angle that you have on a mountain bike, uh, you know, lifting your upper body a couple of degrees, um, can make a really notable difference in your ability to get that front wheel up. Um, And also, yeah, as you pull weight off of the front wheel and place it on the rear wheel, uh, the handling speeds up. So, yeah, that will make the bike feel more nimble as well. Honestly, John, I am a little bit surprised that head tubes are not longer than they are on most mountain bikes. I'm I'm sort of surprised that we don't see bar positions being even higher than they are. It's... I agree. I think that is curious.
1: I think it's also really curious that stock bars have gotten wider but not taller. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the riser bar, I think, makes up for some of that head tube length that you're missing. Oh, absolutely. But there was this strong move to wider and wider bars. Yeah. And I'm not a, like, narrow bar throwback guy, but I am especially for smaller riders, you see a lot of smaller riders riding stock 800 millimeter bars. And you're like that you're going (laughs) to, you're going to injure your shoulders or neck. Like that is not the right width for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we could be coming. I think a lot of them, we could come up, come up, you know, significantly and narrow a little bit and not lose bike handling or stability, but
0: Yeah, well, you know, the the reason to go wide on a bar is really very terrain-dependent. If you're doing fast downhills where stability can become an issue, um, as well as riding through rocks that might otherwise rest the front wheel um, and bar out of your hands, those are reasons to go with a wider bar. Uh, The riding I do here in Northern California... It makes riding with a wide bar, uh, or riding with a wide bar here, is the move. Uh, does it need to be 800 millimeters wide? No, I think all my bars, or both of my bars, are 780s. I mean, that's it's wide. That's big. Um, yeah, uh, and you're not a, a small
1: person. I mean, I I agree with you. I I like the stability of a wider bar, but. It also needs to make sense for the size of the person on the bike. If you're under, no question. If you're under five six, five five, and someone yeah. is like, "Here, have an eight hundred millimeter bar," like <laughs> you're gonna hurt yourself on that thing.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, nobody's making a twenty millimeter stem. So as the as the bar goes wider, the stem needs to get shorter. And most of the stems are, you know, 45, 50 millimeters. As it is, there's no room left to take out unless you're using one of those weird dimpled bars. Mm. Uh there somebody's doing like a 35 millimeter stem. And I, you know, that's something I don't feel a need to chase. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, it's raining here and it has been raining for four days. Gurr, grumble, dishappy. Uh so fenders are a topic of conversation. At least inside my head, uh, my pick this week is a rerun, something I've picked before. The SKS Germany Raceblade Pro XL. Say that three times fast. Yeah. I'm picking these because I've yet to find another set of fenders that are as easily adaptable as the Raceblade Pro XL. You don't have to cut any stuff. You know, you need a, a three millimeter Allen wrench, and that's about it. Um, SKS says the XL will accommodate tires from 25 to 32 millimeters wide, but if I'm honest, um, I'll admit that I used them with a 35 millimeter wide tire and they did just fine, Just which fine. Is, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a, that is a, definitely an objective measure. Um, it, 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 this is to say that, uh, they kept my butt dry and my legs dry above the knees, Um, or even to my knees, my feet and ankles get wet on any ride longer than two hours. So, you know, I, that's not something I score. Um, now all fenders are pretty adaptable, but I've yet to find any that are as easy to mount and adjust as the race blade pro XL. You don't have to cut anything. Mm. Um, the regular race blade can handle tires up to 25 millimeters wide, um, but the only reason I can see purchasing those is if your bike can't handle the wider fender. After all, 28 is the new 25.: Yes. They go for 74.99 and come in lots of colors that are all black, uh, but you can choose between a matte finish and a gloss finish. Mm. Um, Express <laughs> yourself I've got the matte finish. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that the mounts do have the ability to mar. finish though uh so i recommend putting some tape down on the frame before mounting the fenders Um, that has served me well
1: what what is the germany in the product
0: name what does that denote uh aside from the fact that they were founded in germany and based in germany and uh everything else is a subsidiary um i I think they're just
1: i see so it's sks germany yeah not SKS Germany race Split. I was like, are these, do these vendors <laughs> lack a sense of humor? Is that what they're getting at or <laughs> sorry?
0: Apologize to my German friends. <laughs> Maybe we should be playing some Kraftwerk in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, they've, um, they've got a robust operation here in the U.S. Uh, I know some of the people there. They're they're dynamite individuals. Their products are always easy to get. You know, if there's only one fender a bike shop is carrying, it's probably SKS. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's the best recommendation of all that I can give them is that it's a brand, you know, that everybody trusts when it comes to fenders. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it, which is all to say that... Um, if I'm feeling up to it later this afternoon, I'll be going downstairs and getting those out and mounting them uh, on my allied. <laughs> yeah. It's that time. <laughs> All righty, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. We, um, we have an uncertain publication schedule for the next couple weeks. Next week, I'm out of town, um, for the Christmas holiday. And then after we're back, uh, after I'm back, you're gone. Um, halfway around the world. Um, That's right. I'll and, be on the bottom. Yeah. Uh. And I want. We will all want to hear stories uh, about your adventures in New Zealand. I um, I I look forward. I'm. I almost
1: feel um. Like there's pressure. Like I gotta find the bike adventure while I'm there. What if I don't find good bike adventure? Of course I will.
0: Uh, you know, I, I think everybody listening, uh, me included, is it, just interested to hear about your experience. It, it, it's, it It's exotic enough on the face that, you know, we don't need any wild successes. As a matter of fact, if you're too successful, we'll all want you dead. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Those who uh, don't already. Yep. Right. Uh, so I'm going to try to fill in uh, a couple of those weeks with either episodes of The Long Way Home or maybe a paceline Tandem. Still working on that. Remains to be seen. Isn't planned yet. Sorry, folks. How's that? Great. <laughs> <laughs> TBD. Right. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, hey, we will continue to have plenty of reading material on the site. Uh, so hopefully you'll stop by and read some of that. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe comment, maybe subscribe. We've got a couple different options. You can hit the tip jar. Uh, we certainly through the winter could use your help, uh, to keep all our contributors, uh, topped off with, uh, the rates that we've agreed to pay them. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Everyone loves to get
1: paid and paid on time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm proud that we take good care of our people. Uh, you do a nice job managing that, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, until next time, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.